0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker.
1: What's up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you stopping by on a Wednesday morning on this. What is it? January twenty-second edition of the Rebel Report podcast. I didn't have to search for that one too long. Uh, I normally say pack show, but not really a pack show today. But we do have some stuff to get into. We've uh, Ole Miss did play a basketball game last night. Uh, at least they showed up to the gym. Uh, we got some recruiting stuff. We'll probably get into some Zion Williamson. Probably finally get into the Astros' sign-stealing deal. Or I say Astros' sign-stealing deal. That's really kind of disingenuous. It's more of a baseball thing at this point. Uh, there was a Hall of Fame vote yesterday. We'll kind of bounce around a little, probably a little light on the Ole Miss content today. Uh, just because you're kind of in a weird middle ground with football, I'm sure we'll have some news from this coming weekend with the official visitors and all of that. But really, aside from that, not a whole lot to get to Ole Miss-wise. What's up?
0: Man, today's a really good day.
1: Yeah, big day for you, huh? Big day I mean, for me. I'm excited, me. too. I just don't have a vested interest.
0: And I haven't had one that long. I mean, to tell you the truth, I only adopted the Pelicans as my team after I found out that I was going to move to Mississippi on a semi-permanent basis. Once I took the job with Super Talk. Um, I adopted the Saints and the Pelicans, so it's not like I've been some kind of lifelong New Orleans sports fan suffering through the Hornets era and Chris Paul leaving and all that stuff. Uh, that's Man, not- I don't know
1: what the average lifespan of an NBA fandom is, but I'm going to bet you're on the longer end of the average <laughs> just based off most, most, most guesses. So I think you're probably straight.
0: And in my defense, the team has been largely terrible and terribly run in that entire stretch. I know they had that. Uh, sweep of the Blazers in the playoffs a couple of years ago. That was pretty awesome. Uh, but that was the year where they basically mortgaged their future to sign DeMarcus Cousins, and then he tears his Achilles. And then instead of taking a two-year $40 million contract, he goes and ring chases uh, at Golden State for $5 million for one year, gets hurt there, uh, and then video comes out of him And then he gets arrested, and so I guess it ended up working out for New Orleans. But even the good year, there were still bad things that happened. So I feel like it's not a bandwagon because they were awful until now. And they still, this season, have a 13-game losing streak under their belt. So, I mean, I don't feel bad about it, but like there are other people today, New Orleans people, Especially local media there, the people that have been tied to the, the city and its sports teams for so long. This is a much more important day for them. The basketball fans have been treated like shit in that city up until now. Uh, there aren't finally- many of
1: them, or at least there haven't been until uh, Mr. Williamson arrived.
0: Yeah, they were a very um, dedicated fan base. So They've never finished in the bottom third of the league in attendance, believe it or not.
1: That it's is surprising. Happened. I wouldn't have guessed that.
0: It's a very um, small but dedicated fan base. I mean, they have. I went to a game last year after the Anthony Davis trade request. In the, the arena, it was a Saturday, but still, the arena was relatively full. I mean, the team was bad. They were losing on purpose. Anthony Davis basically told everybody what we already knew, which was the franchise was a dumpster fire, and people still showed up to watch him play. Those basketball fans have been tortured. I mean, they had Chris Paul, and he mocked them on the way out of the door when he left. Uh, I mean, they had football people running the basketball operation. They were treated like a redheaded stepchild in that city. And it took uh, Gail Benson taking over the team for her late husband and blowing everything up and starting over for it to actually look like a, a franchise that has the desire to compete in the National Basketball Association. And so this is a really cool day for those people. Like, people that have covered the team. There's one guy in particular that only covers the team on a part-time basis because he has to, because the demand just wasn't there for a full-time basketball reporter. And days like that, for people like that, I think it's really cool. Because basketball's been second fiddle, treated poorly, been really miserable to cover. I mean, you talked about Ole Miss football this past year. It's SEC football, and when the team is not competitive, it sucks to cover. I mean, the job isn't fun. You're miserable, and they have been doing this for years, and finally today, the team is in playoff form, and they have the most talked about—God knows what he's going to be like as a pro—but the most hyped and talked about prospect since LeBron in their franchise when— they did an entire front office restructuring and made the right hires this time and are playing competent basketball with a competent roster that makes sense, and then this guy comes in. Those people deserve that so much, and uh, I feel bad for being excited today because I'm not long suffering, but again, in my six going on seven years, they've been good for half a season, so
1: Yeah, I uh, so that we'll get into that some. I do have some thoughts on uh, his debut. it's in San, San Antonio. I guess for uh, kind of getting going, starting Ole Miss. Since we recorded on Monday night, which is a little unusual, uh, we got to one of the we got to one of the big time commitments. They got Ole Miss gets another one. Uh, really, in the couple of hours after we finished recording on Monday night, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Damon Clowney, Demon Clowney. Uh, again, phonetics guide would love to. I'm pretty sure I it's believe DeMond. it's Damon.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Although David
0: he- Kellum's going to have a blast with that
1: yeah he is or uh maybe glenn waddle who uh <laughs> halfway through austin- uh no who was it uh, oh, you had the bosfield bowsfield thing in baseball, but there was uh oh cam Deshaun uh at- about halfway through his Deshaun. career you remember him there's an outfielder for old miss about right. halfway through his career uh i guess glenn waddle the p a announcer for football and baseball decided that he was now French and so it became Cameron <laughs> Deshawn. so uh we'll- we'll see. okay you know what- on that note.
0: By the way, I know people have told you this before, but if there's anybody in Ole Miss athletics listening to this, which I think there might be because they listen to everything as they should turn Glenn Waddle down at football games, turn him down when he's the loudest thing you hear when you're watching the game on television, that's a problem. But in the stadium, he does not need to be that loud. I know the atmosphere isn't great and the crowd isn't as loud as other SEC schools, whatever. Your PA guy's
1: too loud. It may just be his voice, though, because I noticed this at the Mobile Bowl and or the Independence Bowl as well. Like, I could hear it through the TV. I was like, oh, that's Glenn. Maybe he just has this ridiculously piercing voice, and, like, unless you completely mute him, it's, uh, it's breaking all the sound barriers. Because he's, like, the only PA announcer. Maybe it's just because I recognize the voice that I've visibly heard through the television at stadiums outside of Vaughn hemingway So it might, it might just be his uh, incredibly piercing voice. I don't know. But uh, he I has
0: access like to the mixer and he makes sure that he's that loud
1: that is also possible maybe he uh maybe he has the proverbial ox cord and volume so <laughs> Omis gets a commitment four-star weak side defensive end he is the highest rated player in this class primarily recruited by chris partridge which is interesting and like i obviously i uh, maybe I'm just drawing the obvious comparison, but he's a Maryland kid and wasn't primarily recruited by DJ Durkin, uh, which is interesting because obviously Durkin was the head coach at University of Maryland. I would imagine he's uh, pretty familiar with that area. So uh, a big gift at a huge position of need, as uh, we talked about yesterday on the radio show, I'm always hesitant to say guys are going to make an impact from day one on uh, either the offensive or defensive line, though I do think it is a little easier to make an impact immediately on the defensive line as opposed to the offensive line. But point being this kid, I think has a chance. He's six four two twenty five. That's a little light to come into college and play defensive end. It's been done, but I would, you would think you'd spend the off season trying to put at minimum 20 pounds on the kid. Uh, but I think as an opportunity to play pretty quickly, because Ole Miss does lose a lot on defensive line. I mean, you lose, I mean, I'm counting interior here as well, but you lose Josiah Coatney, you lose Benito Jones, you lose Kadir Shepard. I mean, there, there's a lot to replace there, so I think the kid has a chance to uh, to play pretty quickly. But a, uh, a pretty big and important get for Ole Miss, what, he's 155th-rated player nationally, I want to say? Uh, yeah, it's
0: incredible. And I know that they have to do this, but it's just funny to me that overnight he became 40 players worse than he was the day before. I always find that funny.
1: Really? How does that work?
0: It, so, these recruiting services do re rankings periodically and they release them all at once. So, 137, excuse
1: me. 137. Yeah. So, in a
0: day, he went from a like a top 100 to 137. In one day, just magically snap your fingers without playing a football game, dropped in ranking. I know why they do it. I understand the process. I do find that funny, though.
1: Yeah. And this is going to get into the whole deal. Why? I think it's becoming more and more, particularly with colleges, that they don't really pay attention to the kids like ranking. Obviously, they can't really afford to do that when evaluating kids. Uh, I do think some schools take kids could make their class look better from a star perspective, but I do know there is a school of thought out there that really just kind of uh, detests the entire uh, rating system because it is the the, the fall in the rating system. I've thought about writing about this before, but I, I I would imagine it's already been done and like it's really just kind of subjective. But the way re- evaluators see it and the way recruiting guys see it is, uh, I say recruiting guys, director of recruiting, like in-house, like in, in terms of guys in charge of the program, like Tyler Siskis of the world, see it as the, the the kid's star ranking and rating is more based off, too heavily weighted off of his offer sheet as opposed to the kid's actual ability. Because if you think about it, across the country you have 300 kids. It just ESPN just ESPNU's top 300 alone. How in the hell can you actually tell which kid's better than which in terms of just the minutia of ranking them spot to spot. So I don't know. Anyway, the point being is they got a four star kid. He's got a chance to play pretty quickly. Obviously the, uh, the uh, easy guy, I guess kind of headline grab here is that he is Jadavion Clowney's cousin. So uh, I guess that's a fairly good bloodline to be from.
0: Yeah. And that made front page news on ESPN. I mean, it's incredible. And, of course, part of that is due to what you said because he is Clowney's cousin. But Ole Miss football in January, on January 21st, I guess it was yesterday, uh, was front-page news on ESPN.com. Not ESPN College Football, not rivals, no offense. It's just rivals, covers, recruiting. So that that's different. ESPN.com. When you're going into the Super Bowl, you have a massive cheating scandal in baseball – You've got the NBA in full swing. Zion, the number one overall pick, coming back. And Ole Miss football is front page news on ESPN.
1: Yeah, and I don't, I mean, back to what we talked about when he got hired, if Ole Miss signed De, uh, DeMond Clowney with Matt Luke, it's probably not making it. I think there's a combination here of clowny at being his cousin and uh and it being Lane Kiffin here. Like I think anything anytime Lane Kiffin does something notable, I think it's going to make headline news. Uh so that really just kind of speaks to uh kind of the different lens this program is viewed at than it was just a couple short months ago, which is uh why Keith Carter made the move. But uh big get for Ole miss. I uh, I think that brings their class somewhere near the top 40. I I am one uh Particularly covering it on National Signing Day, I don't really pay attention to where they land until the, all the dust is settled, because it seems very fluid and doesn't seem to make a ton of sense, or it seems very hard to track in terms of moving up and down until where the dust settles. I think they have a good chance to finish in the top thirty, which would be a pretty, I think, a pretty solid accomplishment for this staff, given it was in flux. You had a coaching change and all that. They're
0: already uh, thirty-five, it, right?
1: I think I want to say this got it to forty-one, but I could be wrong. Let Let's, me double-check. I will, Again, uh, I looked at it, it yesterday afternoon, or maybe it was actually before this game. I can't remember.
0: I, I look at rivals personally. I know everybody uses 24-7 because of the deposit. I just, for some reason, I have locked in on that one. I think they see the kids more. I like their evaluation better, but that's just a personal preference. I don't think it really matters. On rivals, they're 35th. And ahead of them are a bunch of schools that have a lot more commitments and signees than them. So, so, there is a real opportunity to continue shooting up this board.
1: 34 on 247, and the two schools in front of them are Iowa and Colorado with 23 and 22 commits, respectively. To your point, UCLA at 29 with 22, Maryland at 28 with 27 commits, Mississippi State at 27 with 21 commits, Georgia Tech at 26 with 24 commits. Uh, maybe I shortchanged them a little bit. Maybe they have a pretty good chance to crack the top 25. Uh, again, Depending
0: this is- on who they sign, and if grad transfers or transfers were factored in, they'd be even better. I mean, that's the thing. These recruiting services, I think that we talked about it last podcast, I, they do a really good job of evaluating. The next layer they have to add is transfers factoring into rankings. Because, like, if you look at Old Mrs. Recruiting class now, there's a piece in the secondary that they added in this cycle, if you want to call it that, that will not reflect in the rankings or in the class. But they added a former four-star kid who's good enough to play in the SEC, was just buried in an extremely talented depth chart at Georgia. And he can't even play this year. But still, they added that piece in the secondary, and it doesn't reflect in the rankings. But that's a huge, important pickup for them in a position of need, and it doesn't reflect.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that uh, (laughs) as we're sitting here talking about it on the side of the screen, because I wanted to double check, I guess I looked at the rankings at the beginning of the week before this clowny thing happened, because I don't know where I got 41 from. But maybe that's where they sat before this happened. That would seem to make sense. But on the on the side of this thing, it's like a little disclaimer here. It's like 247 composite is a proprietary algorithm that compiles rankings and ratings listed in the public domain by major media recruiting services, creating the industry's most comprehensive and unbiased ranking scale. It's like, Jesus, these, uh, we, are we measuring high school prospects? or are like, uh, like mixing molecules here. Good good God.
0: Well, as so, that crazy it, Georgia guy says, uh, this is a matter of life and death. So
1: Yeah, actually, we can get to that in a second. I don't know if anyone has seen this. I don't know how many people that listen to this podcast are like, plugged in online, because that's one of the things I forget about, like, 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 whenever I'm talking to the outside, like, obviously with my job, or I say my job, our job, we have to be plugged into, like, Twitter and all that, probably more so than we would like to, or more so than that is healthy, but, like, it's funny talking about it, like, I was, I was like, what, like, both of my roommates aren't really on Twitter, like, they, I mean, I guess they have it, and they don't really check it that much, so anytime I see something that's, like, rocked the Twitter sphere or something, and I mention it to them, they're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So you have to be kind of careful with that. But there is – what what you're getting at, there's some crazy recruiting guy that's basically just made a Twitter account and is uh, basically saying that uh, the five-star kid uh, whose name is now escaping me, we talked Zach about Evans. on Monday. Zach Evans, thank you, uh, is going to Georgia. But uh, anyway, point me be- – I think this guy is just punking people. He's making all these like Alex Jones-type videos in terms of saying he's like I mean, he really is. He's like, it's like, I've seen the documents. If you have ever seen Alex Jones on InfoWars? This guy's even made his voice to sound like him, saying he's seen uh, Zachary Evans' LOI and that he's coming back to Georgia. None of this is important other than knowing the general framework of this is there's some crazy quack online making videos that he knows stuff that recruiting services don't know. Point being, I think this guy's just punking everyone. I think he's trolling everybody. I think he's uh, making like an Alex Jones-type parody. But nevertheless, because the general intelligence level on the internet is very low, people are taking it seriously and can't wait for him to be wrong, even though I think there's a 0% chance this guy is serious. I,
0: dude, I think it's an Alex Jones parody, too. I, the parallels are so similar. Um,
1: he talks like Alex Jones on purpose. There's he, yes. That's not how he normally sounds. No.
0: I, I think that's what it is. But even still, I said this on the radio show yesterday, but I'll bring it here, too. I think it bears repeating, and— what social media has created with sports media and the separation of legitimate and, le- and illegitimate people that cover programs, it's stuff like this. I mean, if you look at this guy, he's got, what, 5,000 followers on Twitter. And there are Georgia fans, 5,000 of them, that see what he says when he's like, oh, I've got sources in Athens that say they saw this paperwork and they believe it. And so then when it becomes wrong, which eventually he will be wrong about something, they will point the finger in another direction away from this guy. For example, like the the evidence he's using on Zach Evans is he's seen financial aid paperwork, and that's why he's going to Georgia. So 5,000 Georgia fans see that. And believe that that is the case, when in reality, you can sign financial aid paperwork to every single school in the country, and it doesn't bind you to anything. He probably made it up to begin with, but even if that was real, that doesn't mean that he has to go to Georgia. It doesn't. So if he signs with Ole Miss, it becomes, oh, they did something sketchy. And you get that with, even all the way up to like SB Nation blogs, where they have like an official domain and a a backing of— some form of credibility, that kind of shit still happens. And people believe it when it's not verified, it's not true. And because of social media, these people get massive followings and people treat them like they are an actual journalist or somebody that covers their team when they're not. They're just a dumbass fan like everybody else. And people believe them and believe their information and it creates false narratives. Of course, it's social media and it doesn't really matter. But that kind of stuff happens, and people actually believe it. And then my text messages get flooded with, oh, man, is Ole Miss really out on Zach Evans because he signed his paperwork to Georgia? No. That's that's not true. And it just creates this circle of bullshit.
1: Yeah, and a decade ago, there's no – like. There's no chance on earth a guy like this would have a platform or an a vehicle to garner any sort of credibility. But I guess that is just kind of the <laughs> the world we live in. So, uh, yeah, some a, a big couple weeks ahead for Ole Miss on the recruiting trail. Uh, but a certainly a pretty good start there by signing Clowney, highest rated player in the class. It'll be interesting to see if he ends up finishing as the highest rated player in the class. I would think the coaching staff would hope that is not the case. But uh we shall see in the coming weeks. Uh take uh we'll take a quick break to tell you the podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. We've got one football pick'em left in the year. I'll get Greg's Super Bowl pick sometime in the next week or so. Uh we might have some kind of just meat extravaganza where he talks about the best things to grill on uh on Super Bowl Sunday. Maybe what he has planned personally for Super Bowl Sunday. We'll see, but go see them. They've got steaks, custom cuts, sausages, sides, all kinds of stuff. Lane Kiffin special, eight ounce bacon wrap filet. Keith Carter special, six ounce bacon wrap filet. The Mike Bianco special, a steak well done, hard as a rock. Uh, that's not really a special. I just made that <laughs> up, but go see Craig, University <laughs> Avenue, across from Kroger. Uh, Greg's got the meats. Uh, baseball season's coming up. He's got game packs. You can go get a plate lunch, all kinds of stuff there. Go see Greg. Ask about the Mike Bianco special and just see what he says because it doesn't exist. I just uh, spoke it into existence. But anyway, uh, kind of on a different front, uh, we can really go a number of different directions here. Why don't we just get basketball out of the way here and then kind of get into some, uh, some random interesting topics? Because I do have uh, one thing I didn't tease at the top of the show. I do have a plea for humanity to uh, keep a, one of America's great restaurants alive. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. Ole Miss did play in a basketball game last night. They got absolutely run out of the building by Tennessee. Uh, oh, this is terrible from a professional standpoint. But I went to bed with 17 minutes left. What was the final score?
0: Um, I don't remember either because I stopped watching it early in the second.
1: Half. It just, I look, I so, uh, but I guess a little inside baseball here. I make a point. I watch every Ole Miss basketball Seventy
0: three forty eight. 73-48.
1: Game. Okay. I knew they scored under 50 because I got a text from a uh, – I mean, I got a text from Bracken, actually, as it was this morning. It said scoring 50 on this many games in a row has got to be frustrating. Uh, tough deal. So, anyway, I guess a little inside baseball. I watch old, every Ole Miss basketball game. Even, like, we don't travel as much for it, particularly not this year, because they're not good. It's not worth spending the money. You kind of get the – uh the give and take there, or the economics of that. If they were good, we'd probably be going on the road a little more. But, point being, I still try to watch every game and I try to give my thoughts on it at, in a written form at supertalk.fm, even if I'm not at the game. Because it is, in this day and age, it really is very easy to write from home and actually kind of give analysis on a game. But last night was really the first game this season. They were down, what, 42 23 at halftime? The game was completely non competitive. I mean, I texted you when we were talking about what time we were going to record, and I said, I'm not staying up for this. This is pointless. Like, no, like there, there really is no point in me sitting up for an hour after the game to write, you know, 750 to 1,000 words on what I think happened in this game because it wasn't competitive from the jump. This team is an absolute mess. I mean, they end up 43, uh, 73, 48. It was really, I mean, uh, to be completely honest, it could have been 35, 40 points. Like, it really just, it, I mean, like, the score really doesn't do it justice, I guess is what I'm saying. For how uncompetitive this basketball game was, you had a tough night from Brian and Tyree, who still somehow finished with 18 points, but he really struggled. He had only four points in the first half, seven of 22 shooting. They're just I mean, if, if you needed a crystal clear example and if you hadn't gotten this example yet, but I think there have been countless. They're just so inept outside of him offensively. It's uh it it's really really just kind of uh it really is jaw jaw dropping. I mean, I don't really know any other way to say it. I mean, th- that you had Hadeem C got in foul trouble last night, so they were just completely soft in the post. Tennessee went straight at them with the uh I can't even remember the kid's name. one of the European kids Nick, Nick uh, Flukerson. what?
0: Oh, you're not, not talking about Flukerson.
1: Sorry. Either one. I mean, you pick your poison. Yeah. I mean, you'd, uh, Fulkerson, whoever, the, the European kid, they just got eligible. Uh, but, yeah, John Fulkerson, I guess, would be the best example. He finished with 18. They went right at them inside. Even when C was in the game, he didn't offer much resistance. There were several chances where he just doesn't have touch around the rim. I mean, I can't count. I mean, I, I was trying to track how many times C or Buffin. Or I guess Crowley would fall in this category too. Went to the rim and just got abs. I mean, just got their lunch sent back at them because they don't finish strong enough at an SEC level. Uh, I mean, they just are I don't. I, I don't really know what else to say. They're they're just bad offensively.
0: Yeah, uh, and I mean, bad altogether though. Uh, if Tennessee's three bigs uh, that that play in their regular rotation it, in forty-seven minutes combined, they miss three shots. I, I mean, just. Getting easy looks at the rim, uh, Ole Miss especially, is so bad down low. I mean, C fouls out in 11 minutes, and then they, they can bring nobody off the bench at all that can provide any kind of resistance. There's no rim pr- protection. There's no physicality down low. You thought that it couldn't get worse than Bruce and Dom, but holy shit,
1: they are worse at that spot than Dom Bruce was and Dom physically were physically limited, year. but at least he was a decent rim protector. Yeah. And honest to God, I mean, Dom obviously couldn't come out and like play on the perimeter at all, and I guess that's the one advantage C gives you. But I mean, you mean to tell me that like like the the baskets that that C regularly misses or gets rejected or thrown back out into where he kind of looks at the officials like, why well, wasn't that a foul? It's because well, he could have sent that shit into the third row. Like Dom would have at least finished that, and and like he was he had better touch around the rim. They're just, I mean, again, when Tyree doesn't score, they they. They literally can't – they don't have any offense. They can't score around the rim. Like, I, there's really nowhere else to say it. Devontae Shurer was in foul trouble while the game was in consequence, which means first half he was in significant foul trouble. I mean, the DMC is a starter played eleven minutes last night. He recorded two points and five rebounds. He had two turnovers, fouled out. I mean, it's just – It's it, awful. It, hey, but the thing is, man, the
0: offense looks bad, like schematically. And I'm – Kermit Davis has forgotten more about basketball the, yesterday than I will ever learn in my life. But there is something about the offense that, to me, looks like it can't work no matter who you've got. I mean, I've said this a few times now, but it, the ball sticks. The ball sticks with either Tyree or, or Shuler, but mostly Tyree. Blake Henson takes really bad shots after bad sets. K.J. get I mean, he, earlier in the season, he looked, looked like he was uh, – a contributor or could have been a contributor offensively he only takes 4 shots last night they are not generating offense through sets often the ball seems to stick with the only scorer and i understand why that is but when you watch the offense and the way it operates to me that looks like an offense that wouldn't really work even if Hadim c was better than he is right now it's a it's isolation the ball sticking with With the ball handlers, very few sets, or at least it doesn't look like they're trying to run that many offensive sets to get the ball easier looks for a guy like Buffin, or or to get hints in better shots. And maybe part of that is just he takes bad shots. His shot selection is horrendous. But doesn't part of that come from the lack of creativity with, with sets and generating offense?
1: Probably some, but he also settles for jump shots too much and doesn't drive the ball. To his credit, he did have three or four drives where he got to the rim last night. He only finished on two of them. I mean, hell, he was 2'11 from the field. But he did take it to the basket some. But, like, there was a moment in the, in Saturday's game against LSU, and it was a pretty good crowd, meaning the volume level was pretty high. But you could audibly hear Kermit Davis scream at Blake Henson, drive the ball, like, three times in a row after he jacked up a three. So shot selection is terrible, like they they can't get him to take the ball to the rim. KJ Buffin just looks absolutely lost. I'm looking at the final stat line. How he only had two turnovers is beyond me because I swear to God I counted at least five. Maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I'm seeing things. But like he just looks absolutely lost. I remember sending a text to someone in November with the way KJ Buffin was playing and the way they were getting him the ball in the high post. Like he was hitting mid-range jump shots. He was getting to the rim. I texted someone and said this could uh like, this seems like it's real enough to where this guy could average, you know, 16, 17, and eight uh, in SEC play. And you want to talk about horrendous takes. Like, my God, he looks like a completely different player now. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable uh, how just lost he looks on the floor. And I guess that kind of lends itself to what Kern Davis said after the game is, you know, he's, I mean, he, talk about, throw, I mean, is throwing kids under the bus the right word? I mean, is, is, that, is well, that what he did? He said we got to recruit better. Well, we here's, here's what he did, kids. Riffey.
0: He spoke the God's honest truth, and maybe in a setting where you probably shouldn't, but nothing he said was not true. Maybe you don't, but that's the thing. It's, he didn't throw his kids under the bus. He was honest. They have guys that are not good enough to play in the SEC. They are weak, as you've mentioned a few times, at the block. Just not physical. It looks like they don't want to be either. It's not like they try and can't do it. Like, the, the desire to do so isn't there. Blake Hinson, as you mentioned, uh, apparently not doing what is asked of him in the offense and taking bad shots. That, that's all true. And he said as much after the game that we have guys that aren't good enough. Stuff like that. We need to recruit better. That's the only way we get out of this. I'm sorry to the fans because this is bad. But, you know, maybe you hold that in. It's not like it, it was not true, but I mean, these are guys that you recruited outside of your best player. Uh, these are guys that I was you about are his kids. Yeah, they're they're your players, and so if you have to recruit your way out of this, you recruited your way into this,
1: and it's not and fair it, it is because Vince he's recruiting at a high level. Like he's got Matthew Merle coming in. Like I, part of me, and I think I mentioned this last week, is I is this. How many of these kids are placeholders, or how many of these kids did he actually think would be the future of the program? Because it's a mix of JUCO, and it's a mix of freshmen, and none of them are panning out other than—
0: Well, Curry was always going to be a project, right? I mean, that was a guy that—they were hoping to even redshirt, right? If I remember correctly, because he's just so—he needs to catch up physically.
1: Well, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, he redshirted last year. Like they were just hoping to use him in a reserve role this year. Like they, like hey, who honestly, am
0: I thinking? They, then, then I'm confused now. Oh, Sammy Hunter, excuse me, the guy from the Bahamas, not Curry Hunter.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like. I think once they signed Sean Robinson, they just thought, okay, well, redshirt Robinson and and Sammy Hunter will play. But the way Sammy Hunter looked and like all the reports from anywhere inside the program, like leading into the season, was that Hunter was got a chance to be pretty. Pretty damn good. The, the one, that's the one kid that you can tell the skill sets there with him. He just doesn't have any confidence, and he just kind of looks soft right now. I think if you're making me bank on one kid that will end up being okay, I do think it's probably him.
0: Just has an adjustment. but
1: um, I
0: mean, if these guys are placeholders, though, they're still your guys. I mean, you you processed Dom to bring in Hadeem C and, and these freshmen. Uh, they're your guys. And so if the solution is, uh, you know, hands are up, they suck, I've got to go get better players, I don't know. I I understand his frustration. And at the end of the interview, to his credit, he said that they're going to keep working, they're not going to give up on these guys, you know, that kind of stuff. But probably not the best thing to do in that moment. But it's got to be frustrating coaching this team. They should be better than they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But he does have kind of a habit of doing this, and I don't know if it's good or bad. Where last night, judging from what I read this morning and watching some like video clips, is like he was seemingly speaking honest. I don't think he was trying to throw his kids under the bus because he did say, we're going to continue to develop these kids. We're going to continue to try, blah, blah, blah. But like it does make me think of last year, and I guess I did bring this up. I don't remember if we talked about this on one of the previous shows, but last year they were playing a game at Bud Walton uh, in late February it was one of those games where if they they won it they were going to the tournament like that. I remember that's why I was there because if you if if they won that day like you were writing the story about holy shit this team of ragtags like that predicted the finish last the SEC somehow made the tournament and they lose 73 uh, 72 they had a chance to win the game late but you they ran the, the full court play where they throw it to Dom, and his job was to hand it back. The play design inexplicably enough was for Dom to hand the basketball back to Tyree like 70 feet from the basket and just let Tyree race it up the floor. Problem was, someone was on the ball and someone was face guarding Dom, so it didn't exactly work. None of this matters, point being the play didn't work, but after the game, Kermit said, yeah, I've been calling that play for 20-something years, never had the center not hand the ball off, like just throwing Dom straight under the bus. I don't think that's what he was doing here last night. I think he was trying to be honest. But there is a fine line to walk between throwing your kids under the bus and being brutally honest, and he seems to kind of straddle that sometimes. Yeah,
0: and especially with a team that's lacking confidence. Uh, And who knows, maybe they don't even hear that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, these guys watch highlights and stuff, and and they're kind of locked in. It's not like what Houston Nuts said back in the day where he told Neil McCready that uh, his freshmen have – access to his $10 a month message board. Uh, That's bullshit. But these guys kind of see what's going on. Maybe they don't even know that that happened at the end of the game last night. Or maybe he straight up tells them, you've got to be better than this. And maybe the only way I can get out of it is to get better players because you guys aren't cutting it. Maybe he does it straight up says that to them. I don't know. But I I think there's a time and place for that. And especially when it's your players, I, I don't know. What was it, Tom Kareem last year that basically said, look at what I've got to work with. You're asking why we're losing games. Look at my roster that I inherited. That's why we're losing games. Um, This is your roster, except for your best player who, I mean, you're lucky you have him or else things would be really, really ugly.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. uh, I couldn't get past the Houston nut thing because all I I wanted to think about after that is (laughs) – I was thinking, maybe I should text SinquestGolson and say, hey, bro, can I get your Rebel vlog login from what you were looking at your freshman year? need uh, <laughs> to check shit online. But, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It, it's They're a mess, and they, it's not going to get any easier. Speaking of Tom Green in Georgia, Ole Miss goes to Georgia on Saturday. Uh, to, to your point, Green kind of threw those kids – Green point blank threw those kids under the bus last year. And guess what? He's got a lottery pick, and they're not much better this year. So that's an interesting – how that works, but uh, Ole Miss goes there Saturday. I don't. I don't know off the top of my head what time tip off is. I'll look that up real quick. But they're now zero and five in league play, and the road's not getting any easier because they come back home for a game against Auburn after they play on four thirty Saturday afternoon. Just wanted to make sure I had that correctly. Uh, Auburn next Tuesday is at eight pm. So, and then a return trip to LSU. I mean, like I said, zero and eight certainly on the table here before you get a home three straight home games. Uh, it's starting like the snowball is in effect, like it, it it's mounting. I you know you feel bad for Bree and Tyree in some senses. He is the lone senior on the team, but just not working. I uh, I am shocked this team uh, is this big of a disaster. I thought they had a chance to be pretty good and compete in the SEC, but this is uh, they're they're just not competitive. So anyway, play again on Saturday. Well, uh, I'll have coverage of that at supertalk.fm. We'll, I'm sure we'll discuss it on Monday. That's about all I've got from the hoops front from today. I, I don't really know what else you can say about this club. Outside of that, you do have Zion Williamson's return that we did hit at the top of the show. Uh, long awaited. He had surgery in October. What was he actually repairing? Was, was a it? meniscus.
0: A torn yeah. meniscus. Which uh, this, I, I think I told you this before, not on this podcast, though. So he tore his meniscus, and the, the medical people believe that Uh, he played at least one preseason game on a torn meniscus. In the last preseason game he played, he went for like 25 and 11 on a torn meniscus. At least one of the preseason games, it was torn. Yeah, that seems pretty good. Or or bad, depending on how you look at it. I mean, he is um, – and they taught him a few things. The headline in ESPN was they're teaching him how to walk, and that's not – it's not exactly what they were doing. It's far more layered than that, but God knows you need to do whatever you can to let Stephen A. and Max Kellerman bitch at each other for three hours, and if it's, oh, New Orleans is teaching him how to walk, he needs to sit for the rest of the year, those kind of takes, you need to generate him something with bad headlines. What they did uh, was most importantly teach him how to land because he's so explosive and so big, apparently he was landing with his legs kind of straight, and and his knees were absorbing uh, most of the the impact from him landing as opposed to his, his legs and his butt and, and whatnot. So th- they've taught him how to better approach jumping and landing because he was putting more pressure on his knees than were necessary. But of course, the headline was they're teaching him how to walk. No, they were teaching him how to better approach his explosiveness by not putting as much pressure on his knees, landing in more flexible positions and jumping in more flexible positions, but that doesn't grab headlines. That's why it took so long to get him back. Was they wanted to make sure that he was jumping and landing in a way that would prevent wear and tear on his knees moving forward.
1: So he returns tonight, eight thirty p.m. tip on ESPN against the San Antonio Spurs. I, I definitely be appointment viewing for me. I know the you know. NBA not huge in the south, but I will uh, I will definitely be tuning into this. I don't really know it. Apparently, I read he's not on a minute's restriction. I don't uh, I don't really know what to expect, but I'm just glad to see the guy out there. I think rookie of the year for him is probably a lost cause at this point. I think his ex teammate John ja Morant probably has that locked up for what he's doing in Memphis, but the. Uh, it's an interesting year in the Western Conference because the West is so bad. I mean, you have six, seven teams that are pretty good, and then everything it's just kind of a pile of mediocrity in the middle to where they're only, what, like two and a half, three games out of the eight seed, so they have a chance to make a playoff push. I, I think it would be a good thing for the NBA if... And it's tough because I I, I don't I think Oklahoma City is probably going to be submit unless they trade off a couple of their like unless they try to get someone to take Chris Paul's contract or they trade Gallinari or something like that I think they're locked into a top six top seven seed they're the best fourth quarter team in the NBA they appear to be a pretty good basketball team with a good future ahead but there's it's basically like four or five teams fighting for one spot. But it would if you could find a way to get Memphis and New Orleans in the postseason to where Morant and Zion Williamson are playing in the postseason in their first season in the NBA, that would be pretty awesome. Not realistic, just math-wise right now it doesn't seem like there are enough spots. Maybe Oklahoma City falls off the map. I don't know. Neither one of the top six above them are falling off the map. So uh, probably unlikely, but you never know. But yeah, it should be. Man, Houston
0: good. could fall off, though. I, I wouldn't uh, pencil in them think- in the top six just yet.
1: I just think there's too much talent. Like, I, I, I just don't see a world where James Harden and that team's missing the playoffs. Maybe I'm wrong. They, have I don't think they're though. missing the
0: playoffs, but there's a chance that they fall down to an eight.
1: That's true, but that's kind of – but I guess to my point, that's kind of what it would take. One Like, Oklahoma City, Houston, or Dallas, they're all at between the 16-19 loss range. One of them would have to fall out of the playoffs to get both Ja and – Ja and – zion in the playoffs not don't see it happening but it'll be interesting to watch this race it's good for basketball to have zion williamson back hopefully he can stay healthy i don't really know what to expect tonight i will guess he scores 15 points and get eight rebounds that is my official prediction
0: i think everybody would be extremely happy if that was his output there's going to be no minutes restriction he's actually going to start they haven't released the lineup yet other than local media are saying that he will be in it. I assume that means J.J. Reddick will come off the bench now instead of being a starter. Uh, Lonzo Ball, to his credit, he has finally stopped taking early in the shot clock, step back threes with a defender in his face because that's not his game. He's actually settled down a little bit and is uh, playing fast and driving and kicking, which is what he should do. Uh, there was talk about him being the one coming off the bench, but he's played too well lately uh, for that to happen, and Reddick doesn't defend. And you have enough spacing with uh, Ingram, who's uh, completely changed uh, the way people look at him in one year because of the outside shot. He's always been a good slasher and finisher, but uh, now he provides you space. Drew Holiday provides you space. Um, You can sit him. But the thing is, he's not going to be like, true back to the basket big I mean they've already got that in Derek Favors and Jackson Hayes anyway but they're going to give him sets and let him drive because at his size I mean people only see the dunks and the highlights and stuff his handles are really good and his moves driving to the basket are really good for his size and they're going to create him sets to where they get him going around the perimeter and let him slash, believe it or not. Of course, he'll post up sometimes, but his game will be more getting a big to come out and guard him at the perimeter and beating him with handles and driving to the basket. So I don't know how they're going to use him. I mean, they've got it's, – it's a good dilemma, but they've got a dilemma on their hands because their rotation has been pretty set and it's worked really well lately. And taking Reddick out of the game for Zion – removes a shooter and and an outside threat so you have to be able to generate space and ingram and and drew holiday and uh lonzo ball have to continue shooting well because if the floor shrinks i don't know how effective it's going to be it's fascinating how they're going to plug him into the offense because he is only six foot six so he's not a true back to the basket big
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see how he's utilized and kind of how he, I guess, because I don't think, I mean, he did dominate the preseason. A lot of guys tend to struggle at first when, you know, the first couple months. I mean, Trey Young last year was awful and then ended up as a, you know, outside shot to win Rookie of the Year. Luka Doncic obviously uh, took that by storm last year. But, you know, guys tend to struggle immediately and then kind of figure out a couple months in. He doesn't really have the benefit of that. But it'll be kind of interesting to see how he adapts and and how quickly he becomes, a, uh, what everyone thinks he is, can he live up to the expectations? I am uh, I am certainly excited to watch it. So you've got that 8.30 tonight on ESPN. I guess one of the last things I'd like to get to, and before that I'll tell, remind you again to go to LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, Greg, I don't think, steals any signs from any competitive meat companies, <laughs> uh, but he does have the best steaks in Oxford, custom cuts, Plate lunches, daily specials. He's got game packs for baseball season. Go see him; it's the best place in Oxford to get meat. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Really appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. You need to go check out LB's. I'm not just saying that; it is, uh, it is fantastic. But we, uh, we've been teasing it for a couple weeks, or I, I say a couple shows now, uh, about the sign stealing deal. Just be, uh, too much old Miss stuff to get to in the last couple of shows to get to it. But you've now seen this MLB sign stealing scandal. Claim three different managers. Yep. Yeah, three. You've got Beltron, you've got Cora, and you've got AJ Hinch. And it doesn't appear to be over with the Major League Baseball is still investigating the Red Sox. You've had these outside rumors about uh, Astros player wearing a players wearing a buzzer. There's a clip of Jose Altuve after he walks off for his Chapman to send the Astros to the World Series this past year telling his teammates not to rip his jersey off as he's about to enter the mosh pit at home. Don't really know what that's about, but it's not a great look, though MLB did say they're, uh, they investigated for buzzers and basically didn't find any evidence. But it's a mess. It's a terrible look for baseball. There's all kinds of hot takes flying around about how the Dodgers should be awarded the last two World Series. Strip them their titles. I don't necessarily know where I fall on that. I don't think that accomplishes much. It's an absolute mess and it doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon cuz uh news flash I don't think the Astros and the Red Sox were the only two teams using electronics to steal signs you've even had player you had a former player accuse Tony La Russa of stealing signs with the White Sox like back in the early 90s late 80s I don't know where this is It was ended. a scoreboard
0: this light wasn't it
1: Yeah it's it, it's a score where they it, the scoreboard light in the outfield indicate what pitch is coming I'm just saying like it, this to me this feels like the F, it, the college basketball FBI probe to where like I don't know how it's going to end but I can't even begin to kind of just estimate or gauge the depth of like where this could go or where like where this ends like I don't know how deep this is going to go I genuinely have no clue but man it's a bad look for baseball I would say I guess starting off it is a, it is shocking to me that none of the players have been punished and from what I understand they were uh, granted the at least the Astros players were granted immunity for their testimonies so like if they cooperated and like said here's what happened they wouldn't be punished it just it, it doesn't make it doesn't make a ton of sense to me the players and assistant coaches were the ones that kind of orchestrated this scheme and really only the managers and i guess former assistant coaches are getting punished for this that part doesn't make sense to me
0: so what should baseball do do you think they should Claim victory they they got the scalps they needed, and just pretend like this doesn't go anywhere else and look, they punish the Astros, they punish the Red Sox, or they're about to um, they got the Mets manager, and uh, we'll all move on and it's a warning for the rest of the league, or do you think they should not reopen the investigation but maybe start a new one and really figure out how deep this is
1: I mean Rob Manfred did come out and say, I think he told Fox Business Network that he's not- and notified teams that i mean if there's any some, like if there's any credible evidence that your team used electronics, electronic technology of any sort to steal signs, you will be as investigated as thoroughly as the Red Sox were. That seems like a can of worms that he may not want to open. So to answer your question, I don't think that's what he's going to do. I just I don't know where this ends. I don't know how many teams re- electronically he did the Hugh Freeze signs. tweet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like an inverse version of that. I just, I, d- I don't know where this ends. I don't know how many teams are using electronics to steal signs. I don't know. Like, everyone's, like, I, people are comparing this to the Black Sox deal. I'm just probably going to go ahead and put it out there. I'm going to bet using cameras to spy on other teams is not as bad as throwing your own games. Just going to float that take out there. I just, I don't know where this ends up going. I don't know. Like, I, it's hard, like, I, it's, it's interesting to talk about it and kind of, I guess, project where this goes. I just have a hard time accurately predicting where this ends because again i don't know the depth of it i don't know how many teams are stealing signs i don't uh but i do know i think players probably should be punished in this and they're not and so no matter what at the end of this that's going to lead a really weird feeling that even when they get to the bottom of this and all this is done the people that were mostly involved in orchestrating this and carrying it out are not going to be punished outside of a couple assistant coaches who have since gotten managerial gigs that part just doesn't make a ton of sense to me i don't uh I don't get it, but man, what a... I didn't think when they investigated the Astros, I knew they were probably not the only team doing it. I didn't think it would turn into this, uh, have this sort of snowball effect, but it appears it is going to be an absolute mess.
0: Good. Am I crazy? We're going to talk about this on the radio show today because Richard said he needed a couple days to sit on it. I'll bring it to you now. Is... Ultimately, it's a bad look right now. I know. It's a mess right now, and people are talking about—comparing it. it to the Black Sox is so dumb because, I mean, we know very little, actually, about the goings-on in 1919, and they were alleged to have thrown games. Very different. This is a bad look right now, and people will always remember the Astros' 2017 World Series is tainted, but— is this ultimately good for baseball? Maybe not the sport, but the interest in the sport. Mm. Here's why I say that. Because I am, I am the main demographic sports fan. Love football, love basketball. I didn't grow up in a baseball city, so it's just kind of casual to me. And World Series numbers are down. The, the Championship Series are down. The Division Series are down. Local ratings are fine because they love their local teams. But nationally, baseball doesn't generate as much interest as it did 5, 10, 15-plus years ago. For me, casual sports fan does not have a Major League Baseball team, doesn't really care. I'll watch it if it's on, but I don't really care. I don't make it a point to go watch Major League Baseball now. I'm thinking about it. I'm talking about it. I'm more interested in it because of this scandal. And now there's a villain. And villains are, I mean, it's proven in every sport when there is a villain, numbers go up, interest goes up, and the games are more enjoyable. You've seen all these people celebrating that the Patriots are out of the Super Bowl. And I I like fresh blood myself. But the Patriots were great for football. There was an enemy and television numbers were good, and revenue was going up. Alabama, remember when Alabama and Georgia played in the national championship game? Two yeah, it was
1: almost from, the death of Danny Cannell.
0: Seriously. it's In two teams from neighboring states in the southeast, biggest college football rating number ever. Brands or names that people hate for whatever reason, to varying degrees, is really good For these sports as far as generating viewership and interest. And now that the Astros are an enemy. And Alex Bregman is a smug little shit. I love Alex Bregman now. Because he's an asshole. And the way he's gone about interviews lately. It's perfect. You've got an enemy now in baseball. You've got a villain. And it's not just the Yankees because they're rich. You have a real villain. Cheaters. A stained franchise. And now every time they're on television... I want to watch them lose, but that means I'll watch.
1: Yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't necessarily disagree. I think that probably will more co- come more into effect in the postseason because I just I don't see like if the Astros are playing Sunday night baseball in late June, are people really tuning in on a late June game and watching to the ninth inning just to be like, hell yeah, screw these guys, pour eleven runs on them. I don't know, but I do think there is some credence to what you're saying in terms of just wanting to watch the villain and watch the lose. I do think it's good in that sense, but we like we, we live in such a short news cycle and short, like, everyone has such a short memory because the information flow through news and social media and all that is just so constant that I wonder if baseball season is so damn long. And just say they hired Dusty Baker as manager. You're going to have a new manager in place by next October, are people still going to be tuning in to see if these evil Astros kind of redemption tour? Because they're going to be back in the playoffs. They're too talented not to be. I mean, I guess if they really slipped off, Oakland could win that division. Texas is getting a little bit better. Like, I just don't see a world where they're out of the postseason totally. Like, are people still going to feel the same vitriol and hate and want to see them go down next October? Because uh, one of the things you fall victim to here is you have to get through 162 games to get back to the postseason. Like would have lost some of its luster. I hope not. I mean, for me, no, because I think it's going to be – because there is – like, that was one of my immediate thoughts is, uh, is, like, is there a way – because this team still is, regardless of the sign-stealing thing, one of the more talented homegrown teams ever assembled. I mean, between Altuve and Springer and Correa and Bregman and all those guys, like, it is one of the more talented rosters ever assembled. So they didn't really need the sign-stealing thing. Like, one of the first things I thought of, to your point, is, like, is this team just kind of going to go on an FU tour and be like, sign-stealing what? Watch us win 107 games and just blow through the playoffs and prove that we are good enough with or without this sign-stealing nonsense. I think there's a world where that happens. I'm going to find that fascinating. But are people that are casual baseball people going to still remember this? What is October? Eight months, nine months from now? Eight months from now? Like, I hope so. I just... Part of me kind of doubts it. I just, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch play out.
0: Hell, man. People still bring up the tuck rule.
1: (laughs) Yeah. that is Hopefully it sticks around. Yeah. Hopefully. So I I don't know.
0: I guess I just, I don't remember it because that was, oh, God. I was like six, seven. Uh, What year was that now? When was their first Super
1: Bowl? Oh, one.
0: Yeah. So I was nine or 10. Either way, that was forever ago. And I saw it. It was like the anniversary where ESPN tweeted the video of, hey, you know, 19 years ago today, this happened. And I still cannot believe that that was ruled an incomplete pass. In no way, shape or form was Tom Brady throwing the football there. None. He was not throwing the ball. And that yeah, that's one of those
1: bowl. moments that, like, when you talk about – we, uh, Colin and I did this segment once, I think. It was it you and I, I don't think. Like, what moments do you wish you – like, what moments do you wish social media was around for or what sports moments that happened before social media do you wish you had Twitter for? That's probably one of them because that would have – uh, you talk about the, the hot take culture meltdown. My God, from that tuck rule game, you go back and watch to your point what actually happened and what they called an incomplete pass. Like, woof, that, that's pretty brutal. <laughs>
0: I mean, honestly, oh, this might – people – actually, I, I'm starting to dis- disagree with it now that I think about it. That might be more egregious than the 2018 NFC Championship game.
1: I mean, it's close. It's up there. Because they're both just blatantly missed calls. I don't even know if that one's a missed call, but that's such a stretch in terms of interpreting the rule. I don't know. Because they reviewed it, right? Yeah, I mean, they reviewed
0: that and still called it that way, which makes it worse. Like, yeah, and the review lasted
1: like sixteen minutes of real time. If you ever go back on YouTube and watch the clips of that game, the review got to the point where it's like, "Hey, what the hell are we doing? Like, what's going on?" No one knew what to do.
0: That's why. uh, How? But how was there not common sense in the room? That's like, "Hey, guys, that is not a pass. It's not stop." doing the slow-mo forward in and out thing, that's not a pass. He's not throwing the football. That's a fumble. That's what that is. Why is there not one person in these rooms, the same same people that created the pass interference um, flag or review thing that happened this year, why did not a single person in the room say, hey, guys, this is really, really stupid? It doesn't make any sense. Why are we doing this?
1: It's a good question. I guess they didn't have Twitter around to shame them into uh, having common sense. I don't know. But we but, still uh, don't
0: have it. Did you read the LA Times article about the NCAA? Uh,
1: I saw bits and excerpts of it from last night, but didn't really get into it. Why
0: is there not a single person in that organization? They have like eight people that make seven-figure salaries in the NCAA. Is there uh, you not just one of your them?
1: Own question there. Well, yeah, but
0: is there not one of them that's like, hey, guys, don't say those things. Just no comment.
1: Or... Well, from what I understand, they, they the, the L.A. Times guy Foyed, uh, or somehow got his hands on like internal conversations. So I don't think they were like telling that to a reporter.
0: Uh, but still, uh, like, letter jackets. What the hell are you talking about, letter jackets? You yeah. Think, oh, you know, we need to tell the players that you know, buddy, ten thousand dollars sounds cool, but have you worn a dated, puffy leather-sleeved jacket? Now, hold on. I I know $10,000. It sounds cool. Like you can buy a car or pay off some of your parents' debt or take care of your girlfriend who you want to marry or, you know, just have money to pay for bills. But we can give you a jacket. Now, hear me out. It's got your school color and then these fake leather sleeves. And then we put this big letter on it. And if you live in the South, you can never wear it because it's so hot. Now, now I know 10,000 sounds cool, but on top of the letter jacket, you might get a championship ring.
1: Yeah, I mean, just Hold you now, didn't I? Did the NCAA is uh, out of touch with reality. I uh, I, I need to read <laughs> it. That might be a, a good mailbag Friday topic because I need to read. I haven't read the article yet, so I need to dig into that and kind of see what exactly it's all about. But the general premise is that the NCAA uh, basically is trying, it's basically b- blaming sports writers and sports media for all the vitriol towards uh, the attitude towards amateurism. So uh, I'm probably going <laughs> to dig into that this afternoon. its uh, I mean,
0: imagine so-
1: having that
0: thought. <laughs> Not that they're negotiating billion-dollar contracts to put on one basketball tournament. No, it's Stephen Godfrey who is why everybody hates you. That's right
1: yeah i mean just kind of laughable the last thing i want to get to before we get out of here is a plea to just somebody in humanity i read an article yesterday that crystal is going out of business which is just a crock of well, shit it's
0: bankruptcy right it's not going out of business it's- oh
1: okay bankruptcy someone needs to save crystal I-, I need to continue to eat at crystal someone white castle i don't care if you have to consolidate it buy it please god someone save crystal how did this happen
0: Oh, hopefully for you, it's just a debt restructuring. Like they're not shutting, oh, maybe they are. I Look, I'm not a financial guy. I went to journalism school. I don't know shit about anything. Uh, but usually they'll still operate and just restructure to help pay off debt, maybe close down some poorly operating locations. But like if the one near you always has a full drive-through, it's not going anywhere, basically is how I understand how this is going to work.
1: God, I hope so. But please, somewhere out there, just make sure it's not going to happen. I'd like to continue to eat at Crystal. Just uh, I'm going to put that on the millions of rich people that listen to this podcast amongst our uh, millions of listeners. Someone save Crystal, so I don't have to worry about that. Thank you. Uh, that's about all I got for today. I think we kind of hit everything. You got anything else? Uh,
0: no, but enjoy watching Zion tonight. I've been waiting for this since the summer when uh, I, we pulled uh, the water so
1: i'm looking forward to it as well espn 8:30. we'll be back at it dude, Mailbag- they flexed
0: two playoff teams tonight i think it was supposed to be let me make the the schedule pull up the schedule just so i get it right i know that they had two playoff teams scheduled uh tonight on espn and they yeah it was denver at houston so two obvious playoff teams denver the second best team in the west maybe uh and james harden and Russell Westbrook were flexed for two teams that have losing records in New Orleans. That's how important that dude is for basketball. All right, well, at least in the short term as far as generating interest in a time where ratings aren't
1: very good. They need this kid right now. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, on a first-name basis for he's ever played an NBA game, it's uh, pretty wild. So I'll be tuning into that tonight. We'll be back at it to discuss that amongst the uh A number of other things uh, on Friday, Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday is back. Send me your questions. Tweet me your questions. Uh, However you want to get me your questions, please participate in the People's Holiday. I know you have questions. We'll be back with that with recruiting. But for Michael Borky, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We will talk to you on Friday.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi media production.